0: Just let me remind you, uh, we we are not a government with a people. We are a people who happen to have a government. And government is a wineskin. It is a construct that's ordained by God. But there's also a responsibility that we have in our system when the government continues to overreach. That you end up and you stand up and you say something. Not just to protect the right of the individual, but also the collective right of our neighbors and our communities. And what we have seen over this last season is the explosion and growth of a central bureaucratic system that in doing so minimizes and diminishes the freedom of an individual. We're seeing this in countries that border us to the north, We're seeing this in countries across the pond. And for us, it's just important as believers in Christ, folks who are praying for our elected officials, this is not a left versus right thing. This is not a black versus white thing. This is not a rich versus poor thing. If all you ever do is listen to the media, the media works overtime to get us to be divided against each other. Because when we're divided against each other, we have no strength to stand. No, this isn't left versus right or, or up versus down. This is a people recognizing, no, we, we've got some God-granted rights. They're not rights because you're rich or poor or because you're American or, or not American. No, no they, they, they are enshrined in you because you have a creator. And when you deny a creator and when you deny the existence of God, then you're right. Rights do come from government. But when we are people who believe in a divine creator and a divine author of life, and we understand that when he breathed into dirt and made Adam, what became engendered to Adam was this concept of natural, God-given rights. And so for us, uh, we just wanted to, to, to take some time to create some language, create a video that helped express that. I, I, I think it's unfortunate how poor many churches' public theology is. And by that, I mean this. If our theology only impacts what we do here on Sunday mornings in the time span of 90 minutes, then our theology isn't that great. Our theology governs not just what we believe to be true about God, but what we believe to be true about the world we live in. And so in order to have a public theology, we've got to understand some of these concepts that scripture speaks to. And that video will go live Today at about noon, and if you'd like to help us share that, you're more than uh, welcome to. Hey, I wanted to begin today by sharing with you 12 reasons why I as a pastor have decided to quit attending sporting events. 12 reasons why I as a pastor have decided, now some of you already decided, but I'm just, I'm giving you my 12 reasons today why I as a pastor have decided to quit attending sporting events. Number one, coach never came to visit me. (laughs) Coach never came to visit me. Number two, every time I went, they asked for money. Number three, the people sitting in my row didn't seem very friendly. Number four, the seats were very hard. Number five, the referees made a decision I didn't agree with. Number six, I was sitting with hypocrites. They only came to see what others were wearing. Number seven, some games went into overtime and I was late getting home. Number eight, the band played some songs I had never heard before. Number nine, my personal favorite, the games are scheduled on my only day to sleep in and run errands. Number 10, my parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. Number 11, since I read a book on sports, I feel that I know more than the coaches anyway. And number 12, I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. Those are my 12 reasons. <laughs> Maybe you bear witness with some of those, but just ponder on that. I like something George Whitfield once said, There are many men who preach the gospel better than I, but none who preach a better gospel. We've got the best news that there's ever been. The gospel is not good advice. It's not nice philosophy. It's not some great teachings. It's good news. The news that is announcing that the king and his kingdom has arrived, and that changes everything. (laughs) This morning we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians and, and 2 Corinthians. It's written by the apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is writing a church that he plants over the course of 18 months in an ancient city called Corinth that used to, in that day, be the capital city of Greece. And if you think this church has problems, or if you think your family has problems, just go ahead and take comfort in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians. Because church, in theory, is always less messy than church in practice. This church was planted by the best apostle there's ever been. He wrote two-thirds of the entire New Testament. His shadow healed people where he walked. He cast out demons with a word. He raised the dead. And he planted a church in Corinth that was led by and attended by people who were largely dysfunctional. (laughs) Kind of like some of you and kind of like some of me. The ancient city of Corinth was one of the most important commercial cities of the day. It controlled much of the shipping between the east and the west. It was a center of culture. It was a center of art. It was a center of trade. The city's chief deity was a goddess named Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And a thousand professional prostitutes served in the temple dedicated to her worship in the ancient city of Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul writes this to the members of that church. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? No, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's my favorite part. Verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed And then you were sanctified. And then you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. It's not just that Christ washed you because he forgave you. It's that he sanctified you, made you holy, and he justified you and made you right. Here's what I found. The only folks offended by Scripture are those who refuse to be transformed by Scripture. And without fail, every time I've met an individual who is quote-unquote deconstructing, they start with denying the authority, validity, inspiration, and sufficiency of Scripture. Did God really say? If you're going to be a heretic, at least be interesting. Maybe the greatest theological crime of the deconstruction movement is just how painfully boring and predictable their heresies have become. It's always the same trap. Doubt what God has said. Doubt who God says he is. Doubt who God says you are. And then eventually walk away from the faith. No, I'm not even preaching on sexuality today, but I think it bears noting that unsurrendered sexuality, whether a homosexual or heterosexual, leads people to the same place of bondage. And isn't it easy to be mad at people who sin differently than us? Yet, Paul's writing a church of people who've been forgiven been sanctified, been justified, and he's reminding them of how great the love and grace and forgiveness of King Jesus is. Just as some of you were, but you've been washed. Which means this, any other identity that you've worshiped in your past life pales in comparison to who Jesus says you are. There's a lot of things that we've done There's a lot of things that have been done to us. A lot of things that we have walked through, but none of them are a match for the shed blood and broken body of Jesus Christ. As some of you formerly were, but you've been washed. In 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 7 of chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is inviting the folks who attend this church into a personal story about what he's going through as an apostle. I think so often our temptation in charismatic world is to pretend like everything is awesome and okay all the time. And can I tell you, God can't fix what you fake. And some of us don't like wearing masks, but if we were to be honest, we've been wearing masks at church all our life. And can I just tell you, Fred, when you can become okay with being transparent with the God who sees everything, anyways, that's when His grace interrupts your cycle of dysfunction and brings healing to your life. And I think there's a coming wave of God's Spirit breathing on our churches. And I think in doing so, it's changing the narrative. It's not a perfect pastor who stands on a perfect stage with a perfect marriage and perfect kids and a perfect family and perfect finances, giving you a bunch of shortcuts, selling you a book or a DVD series on how you can live a perfect life just like him or just like her. It's people who are willing to be transparent about their stuff because it gives credit to the great grace and the great mercy of Jesus who sits on a throne above. Oh, God's not looking for you to be perfect. He's just asking you to be honest. And in 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7, honest is what Paul is. He says this, I was given a thorn, watch, in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. I like how the message translation translates this verse. He says this, I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant Touch with my limitations. Hear me, friend, how you view your pain determines how you use your pain. It wasn't the Lord who was tormenting Paul, it was Satan. But even in his pain, Paul wouldn't let the enemy have a foothold. Instead, he declared, God is using this for my good. It doesn't have to be good in order for God to use it for my good. I was thinking about this in the context of baking nobody wakes up in the middle of the night with a craving for baking soda. Nobody likes baking soda as a standalone ingredient. However, it's necessary for the rising of the dough. And how oftentimes we look at pain, not as something we crave, it's certainly not something we enjoy. But oftentimes, it is a necessary ingredient in the development of our deep, hidden spiritual life. It doesn't come from God, but if you let him, God can use it for your benefits. That's a necessary ingredient. Sometimes it's the ingredients we would never choose to partake in by themselves that are the most important to the rising of our lives. Some people have what I call a GoFundMe spirit of infirmity. They rather be noticed for their pain than healed from their pain. Some people have a poor me spirit of infirmity. They rather wallow in self pity than allow God to work a testimony through their weakness but mature Christians have a different perspective. Out of anyone who could have been trusted with the significance of this burden, it was me. And I'm not gonna waste a moment of my trial because God is using this for my good. Remember, friend, the cross doesn't eliminate my pain. It gives purpose to my pain. And that's why we park our lives at the foot of the cross because it is what helps us make sense of some of the things that we walk through. In Luke 22, Jesus speaking to Peter says this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus doesn't say, but I will cause this pain to disappear. Jesus doesn't say, but I will cause you to never be tempted. Jesus doesn't say, but I will cause every trial you face to instantly dissolve. No, he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you come back, that you would strengthen your brothers. Why? Because your trial isn't just about you. No, instead, God has anointed your head with the oil of joy in the midst of your trial because your testimony is what gives strength to others who are watching. Now watch what Paul says in verse 8. That three times... I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me three times. Hear me, friend. I'm going to pray for every sick person to get healed. I'm going to pray for every trial to get evaporated. I'm going to pray for every financial stress to be eliminated. But sometimes our destiny is greater than we know, so our development is more costly than we realize. Jesus in the wilderness is tested three times. And after all was said and done with defeating temptation, look at what Scripture says. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he retreated temporarily lying in wait for another opportunity. I have found this to be true. There is about two seasons that every believer walks through cyclically over the course of their Christian life. There's a season of testing, and then there's a season of blessing. If you're in a season of testing this morning, hang on because there's a season of blessing coming. If you're in a season of blessing this morning, prepare because there's a season of testing that is coming. And what I've found is that God is just as faithful on the mountaintop of blessing as he is in the valley of my testing. And there are things that I need to learn at both elevations, but I serve a God who says there are neither depths nor heights that can separate me from his love. There are neither angels nor demons that can separate me from his love. There is neither hunger nor poverty nor fear, trial, tribulation, persecution that can separate me from his love so if he's in the valley put me in the valley if he's on the mountain put me on the mountain if he's in the furnace put me in the furnace because i just want to be where he is oh if i'm in a season of blessing let me prepare because god has blessed me so much that when testing comes it will prove the validity of the precious thing that i carry Some people take the existence of trials as a reason not to contend for miracles. Let me be clear. Sickness is never the will of God. Our job is to pray and then trust God with the outcome, knowing that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him. If God heals me from it, I'm going to rejoice. If God heals me through it, I'm going to rejoice. If God heals me because of my faith, I'm going to rejoice. If God heals me because of your faith, I'm going to rejoice. If God heals me before I get to heaven, I'm going to rejoice. If God heals me after I get to heaven, I'm going to rejoice. Why? Because any day is a good day when you've been raised from the dead. So today is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Even in the midst of my dark night of the soul, it's still a day that he has made. And God didn't cause my pain, but if I let him, he will use my pain. But watch what Paul says here in verse 9. He says, But Christ said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. <laughs> Sometimes we say God didn't answer my prayer when really what we mean is he didn't answer it in the way that we wanted him to answer it. Watch the answer from heaven after Paul prays three times. My grace is is sufficient. That Greek word for grace means content. It means enough. It translates to this English phrase. I am satisfied. It didn't happen the way I thought it would, but grace was enough. It didn't turn out the way I would have wanted it to, but grace was enough. It didn't feel good when I was going through it, but grace was enough. When I didn't have strength to carry on, grace was enough. And even when I didn't have enough, grace was enough. Because his grace was sufficient for me. I want you to consider the Shepherd psalm, Psalm 23, where David, tending his father's sheep, writes about his encounter with God in such a way that it's become one of the most famous and often repeated psalms in all of human history. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. In fact, he refreshes my soul. No, he guides me along the right path for his name's sake. No, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and, and, and your staff, they comfort me. In fact, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil until my cup overflows. And surely, goodness and mercy, it will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, there's a reason why God makes a table for you in the presence of your enemies because you're going to be at rest while they operate in chaos. You're going to be fed while they operate in lack. You're going to be secure while they operate in fear. And see, when I sit down, God stands up because what I am saying is I trust you to fight this battle on my behalf. And if the invitation to God's table comes through the valley of the shadow of death being surrounded by my enemies, then sign me up because there's no other table by which hope grace, mercy, strength, and anointing comes from. No, friend, you can operate in peace when the world is swirling in chaos. You can operate in hope while the world is swirling in depression. You can operate in peace when the world has overdosed on anxiety because the Lord is your shepherd and you shall not want. Why? Because grace is enough. When human answers fail you, grace is enough. When God answers that prayer, but in a different way than you wanted him to, guess what? Grace is enough. I love how God responds to Paul, the one who the Lord worked unusual miracles through, the one who could pray for anybody else and see them healed, but it didn't work for him. And it's like God leans in and he says, Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. And sometimes that can lead to some of the most spiritual, frustrating moments of our life. Seems like everybody else I pray for gets breakthrough, but what about me? Friend, I can't promise you an enemy-free life or a pain-free life or or even a trial-free life, but I can tell you this. If you belong to Christ, you're going to have a table and a chair even when you're walking through the dark night of the soul. And that's what gives us confidence in this life. There is no place that I'm going where he hasn't been. If I'm headed to the valley of the shadow, my God is already there. If I'm headed into green pastures and around still waters, my God is already there. If I'm headed to the mountaintop, my God is already there. There, We are not waiting for him to catch up with our reality. He is waiting for us to catch up with his. My God is already there. So watch how Paul responds in the second part of verse 9. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. See, God turns weakness into strength. Watch, mourning into dancing. Darkness into light. Poverty into riches. Isolation into adoption. And there has never been a situation so dire that God can't turn it around. Every time I face an impossible or difficult circumstance, it only serves as an opportunity for God to show himself faithful again and again and again. It's no wonder that in the book of James, starting in chapter 1 and in verse 2, the Bible says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith is what produces perseverance, and now let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So that's the plan of God for your life. Mature, complete, not lacking anything. But how do you get there? Through the hallway of perseverance. And what keeps you going in the hallway of perseverance? A grace that is sufficient for you. No, you haven't run out of your account of grace. No, you can't bankrupt God's grace. No, God factored in all of your mistakes and your trials and your tribulations and your heartbreak. And he has already applied the necessary grace to your account for you, not just to survive, but grow and develop. My grace is sufficient. See, as believers, we have to balance these two realities. I'm gonna contend time and time and time again for God to respond with instantaneous power that changes people's lives. I'm also gonna trust God when I don't understand why He doesn't do things the way that I want Him to do them. Because I'm not in management, I'm in sales. Which means if you got a problem with me, talk to my manager. Which means if you have a problem with your miracle, talk to my manager. Which means if you got a problem with this season of life, talk to my manager. I don't have the answers for you. I'll add my faith to yours, and I'll pray two times, three times, ten times. But at the end of the day, what I'm going to rest in is that there has never been a trial so great that His grace isn't sufficient for you. No, His grace is on your life today. And in fact, it's an anointing that comes on your head that causes you to even have joy in the midst of other people's sorrow. But I'm telling you, this is who we are. This is what God says we are. And by his strength and by his mercy and by his grace, we're going to continue on that journey. He is the author and he is also the finisher. And in fact, he knows the beginning all the way from the end. He is the alpha, and he is the omega. He hasn't failed us yet. Now, we're facing some impossible situations too. We need a building that actually fits us in an economy that's upside down and a world that's on fire. Okay, God you might be facing some impossible situations too. Your family, your sphere of influence, your friends, an area of personal health. I can't promise you easy answers. I don't have a book that I'm promoting in the foyer after service. There isn't formulas for this thing, but there is a God who invites us into the mystery of following him. And when I don't understand, what he responds with is a grace that is sufficient. That's what I'm offering you today. A grace that is sufficient. That has already factored in every difficulty you face. We got friends who are watching online today from hospital rooms. I'm going to pray for your healing. But just let me prophesy over you today. His grace is sufficient. We got people watching from rehab clinics. Let me declare over you breaking of every bondage and also say His grace is sufficient. We got people here today who are believing for miracles, for family members who couldn't make it. I'm going to add my faith to yours, but let me just say here to every principality and power, His grace is sufficient, and I'm not going to bow at the altar of my unbelief or my hurt or my disappointment because His grace is sufficient for me and... And for you. Come on, would you stand up and give God a great shout of praise in the Northwest? Come on, friend, let me pray for you.